Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey NATO. It's a loose discussion of travel, adventure, diving, driving gear, and most certainly watches. This episode 261, and it's proudly brought to you by the always-growing TGN supporter crew. We thank you all so much for your continued support. And if you're listening and would like to support the show, please visit thegreynado.com for more details. Hey, Jason, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been an uh, eventful week on my end. Uh, finally, uh, finally pulled the trigger and got got the book launched. I know I've been teasing it for hey. quite some time, but Sweetwater is now in the wild. Thank you. Uh, I think I mentioned in our last show that my my strategy was a bit of a scramble. I'm, I'm clearly more of an author than a, kind of a businessman or publisher, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, all all's gone well. Good good feedback so far, and and people getting the books. It's out there on Amazon uh, as a paperback and Kindle, and then now it's up on Apple Books as an ebook. And mm-hmm. yeah, for for people that that are interested in buying signed copies from me, as I've done in the past with Depth Charge, uh, I'm just waiting on my shipment of books, which I've ordered um, through Amazon's printer, and I think they're going to be coming sometime next week. So we'll certainly mention that uh, probably on next week's episode for people that want to hold out for that. But uh, certainly if you're uh, impatient like me, like I can be, uh, it's it's uh, available out there uh, in ebook and paperback uh, via Amazon and Apple Books. So check it out. Yeah. There you go. Sweetwater. Yeah. I, uh, I bought it immediately for the Kindle. Looking forward to reading it this weekend. I've got a little bit of travel ahead, but I should, once I get where I'm going down in uh, PA, I should be able to uh, snuggle into a book. I don't have a, a whole lot of responsibilities for the weekend. So that sounds pretty fun. <laughs> uh, and and it, it's kind of fun because there's, there's, it's not even our only like launch of kind of a long gestating thing this week. We're, we're recording this, of course, on sort of a Tuesday around lunchtime. And earlier this morning, our, our second ever TGN special presentation went live. So yeah, had just an absolute blast recording it. You know, these special presentations are sort of like ads that form an entire episode, but we try and lean really hard into the entertainment side of it. Mm-hmm. So many of you will remember about a year ago, we did uh, our first ever one of these uh, TGN specials with the folks from Collective with Gabe and Ash. Uh, talking about an Armin Strom that they'd created. And this year they followed up with uh, something maybe a little bit more in the TGN wheelhouse be, being a kind of a special limited edition Oris uh, with a 70s uh, specific sort of coloring and theme. And so we took that watch, we talk about it a little bit in the episode, and then we do a, a draft of our favorite 70s watches. And I had a really good time recording the episode. That's That's pretty common. I do love doing this. I always know we've done something that I'm I can be proud of if I have a good time editing the episode, and <laughs> yeah. uh, and this one came together really nicely. So if you didn't get a chance to check it out, uh, it is there in the feed. You can swing by uh, thegreenado.com or the the show notes on Substack for more information. And uh, for those of you who are in the Slack and dug the watch, this is only a couple days later. So assuming the watch isn't sold out. Uh, there is a special uh, kind of bundle being offered to those in the Slack. So you can swing by the Slack and get more information for that. Or if you can't find that, drop me a DM in Slack and I'll make sure to connect you. But uh, pretty straightforward uh, and, and pretty fun. Fun to have that. That's something that's been kind of on the plate for a, a few months. Not as long, certainly not as long as Sweetwater. Um, but it's exciting to have that done. And, and we just had a really nice time with uh, with Gabe. You know, Asher did the, the draft for the Armstrong, and then Gabe came on to do the, the draft with the Oris and the 70s watches, and it was a good one. Yeah, they're both, uh, both those guys are, are TGN fans, and, and they, I, I just feel like their personalities are, are a good fit with with what we're all about. And, and uh, you know, now we've we've heard from both of them in, in two very different, very fun draft episodes. And, and uh, yeah, Gabe was a champ, and he had some some good picks. He really kind of leaned into kind of our <laughs> self-imposed requirements for our draft and, and had some fun choices and, and you did too. And, oh yeah, uh, all of it was very unexpected. I mean, his were, his were some quirky ones. He had some, some deep cuts yep. that, uh, um, that Zenith that he chose. Uh, and, and if you haven't listened to the episode, mm-hmm. apologies for the spoiler, but uh, I won't say any more about it, but that's, a, <laughs> that's a big, that's a big market. 70 Zenith. I think we're all yeah, right. <laughs> But yeah, it was a fun one. Please check that out. Uh, it's it's like a, a a really specific way in which we can support the show in a manner that really doesn't put a tax on the audience in any way at all. You just end up with another episode, and I think it was a really, really fun one that came together nicely. Be- better than I could have hoped, really. So yeah. uh, check that out if you happen to have skipped it or if you had a busy week uh, worth digging in and, and kind of enjoying that process. I think there was it was a good one, and, and a thank you to Collective, of course, for uh, continuing to support TGN. So yeah. Uh, that'll help us do some kind of exciting stuff in the future, which uh, I'm, I'm pumped for. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, speaking of doing stuff, we both have some meetups coming up. I'm, I'm doing something on December 3rd from 1 till 3 p.m. at uh, Lake Monster Brewing, one of my favorite places here in the Twin Cities. That's over in St. Paul, that kind of a book signing and launch event. And I'll have more details coming up here. But um, sooner than that, you're, you're driving down across the border to infiltrate uh, the U.S. once more. Um, <laughs> and, and you're hosting a bit of an event, kind of an informal thing, aren't you? I am, yeah. Headed down for some family stuff in PA, uh, sort of in the Bucks County area, and uh, some folks on the Slack asked if maybe we'd want to connect. Turns out there was already going to be a bit of a watch hangout going on in in the loose sort of area of Philly uh, that weekend. So to be clear, this comes out on November the 9th. I'm talking about November the 11th. So if you might happen to be in the New Hope, Pennsylvania area on the 11th and would like to swing by uh, Triumph Brewing, from two to four, uh, please do. We've got uh, a handful of folks. Uh, you can RSVP in the Slack uh, meetups channel. Um, you can see the conversation in the thread to see what kind of the chat's going on. And if you're not in the Slack but might want to swing by and say hi, uh, just drop me an RSVP to uh, thegrainado at gmail.com. I figure if it's more than, you know, when we start getting a little bit deeper into double digits, 15 people, you probably want to call ahead. Uh, so right now we're not quite there, but if that happens to be the case, if you'd like to swing by, I'm not saying I'm buying beer, picking up the tab or anything, but if you want to hang out for a couple hours this weekend, um, I've got some time between some family events and uh, I really enjoy the drive out to uh, New Hope. So hoping for good weather for that and uh, a nice drive and a good hangout. But yeah, that's the that's the meetup. There, there's now a whole channel in Slack for meetups. So that can be for ones that Jason and I are, are involved in or not, uh, but just try and keep the you know, the sort of threaded conversations there so people can actually find it. But yeah, if you're if you're around New Hope PA on Saturday, November the 11th, Triumph Brewing, two to four, uh, would love to see you there and, and say hi. Fun stuff. What about uh, what about back home? Are you, <laughs> you haven't been there much, it seems, uh, this past couple of months, but... Uh... The last couple of days, I had kind of a, a mostly free weekend and I'd, I'd been kind of bouncing back and forth. Um, I think I've talked about this on the show in the past, but like, I don't like TVs in living rooms, like where you're Mm -hmm. supposed to spend time with people. Yeah. Um, but I now have a basement, which had like a bunch of spare space and the rest of it. So I'd been starting to watch, you know, inexpensive televisions, Mm -hmm. you know, think like mid range models from last year. So like under a thousand dollars Canadian. Um, I have kind of a weird perspective on TVs after owning some very high-end ones and some very like simple Chinese ones, you know, Vizios and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. The experience is largely identical for me. I don't care from one television to another, uh, as long as it's the right resolution and a decent panel. And for me, that's almost like, like with my, the two computer monitors I'm looking at right now, that's LG or Samsung. I'm, I'm typically pretty happy with. So it turns out, you know, Best Buy was offering like a pre Black Friday discount and then you can if it goes on cheaper, you can get it later, all that kind of stuff. But it was a decent enough deal on a TV. So I ended up buying a TV and uh, it's it's a nice feeling. It feels very luxurious and kind of <laughs> deeply leisurely to like watch a screen that doesn't have notifications about work on it. Yeah, that's true. Like I, I've watched pretty much every movie, every all these have either been from watching on my laptop, which I don't really mind, but a TV is a nicer experience. Or connecting my laptop or whatever to a projector. We like projectors. They're very handy. And mm-hmm. and I've just been looking. You know, I watched the first episode of Invincible Season 2, which I talked about on uh, previous Final Notes. I watched uh, Formula One with, like, the built-in smart TV app. Oh, yeah. I could switch to different feeds and watch each driver. And it was pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And it's you can just get a ton of TV for not that much money now. Yeah. Man, when I started working... this. Is, take you down memory lane a little bit but when i first like started working for what was called future shop at the time uh, would later be kind of wrapped into best buy or, or steamrolled by best buy but when i was in university i worked at future shop and i sold computers and at the time you know you had to spend like a, f- a lot of money for a decent tv especially a, a large decent tv and i i got this lg you know it's a big 4k smart lg 65 inch for just not not that much money compared to what i had bought other pieces of gear for yeah and because they become outdated and and the rest of it i, I don't think that a tv for me is like a cry once buy once scenario like mm. a camera or speakers or that like i'd probably spend multiples on the sound system because it, you can keep a sound system forever yeah like i'm i'm using an amp that was a, like it's mostly as old as i am yeah still fine right 
so it's, it's it's one of those few things where I was just looking for a decent sale. I found it, and now I've got one, and it's huge. It's like laughably large in the room. <laughs> so yeah, got a TV, and then uh, other than that, I, I uh, you know used an excuse, found another. I had a weekend full of great sales. <laughs> uh, was at Home Depot because I've been looking at refinishing this coffee table that my wife bought. Uh, she got a beautiful mid-century, it's teak veneer, big, long, very low coffee table. Yeah. Very light on its feet. This really, I think, quite a beautiful design. But it, the, the especially the tabletop was just trashed. Huh. And it was so cheap that we figured like, you know, it was 20 bucks or something for this table. Wow. And we figured even if it's trash, like it's worth at least trying. Even if we burned through the veneer <laughs> and consider re-veneering it, yeah. still that's a good deal on a coffee table. So I went at it with the sander I had, and it wasn't quite working. And then I got lucky again. I was you know, the day after I got this TV on sale, I was strolling through Home Depot for another project, and they had the orbital that I wanted on sale. Huh. So a wireless or cord wireless, a cordless yeah. uh, orbital that uses the same batteries as everything else I've got. And so I picked that up, and it made absolute short work of this table. And then I spent the rest of the weekend like learning how to treat it and refinish it and seal it and that kind of thing. And, and now it's in the living room. It looks great for, I mean, it's not a $20 table anymore. I bought a $130 tool and probably $40 worth of supplies, but that's still yeah. all things considered, I think a pretty cheap mid-century coffee table. Yeah. Yeah. You, um, you sent me, I sent you a photo. I think you sent me before and after and, and the, the transformation is, is quite remarkable. And I, I commented to you that, um, you know, you and, and Sarah are, are thrift, thrift shop uh, champions. Cause I, I just, you know, I don't, <laughs> well, and speaking of thrift shops, uh, the Navitimer, um, that we spoke about last yeah, week, exactly. uh, came from a thrift shop. I, you know, I wish I had the mm-hmm. patience to just visit thrift shops because there's a, there's a whole slew of them not far from our house kind of, you know, touting mid-century furniture and old knickknacks yep. and kitschy stuff and clothing and that sort of thing. I just, I can't get myself to kind of go from shop to shop and look for these treasures, but I know that oh, really? when people find this stuff, it, it really does make a difference. You can really come away yep. with some cool stuff. Yeah, uh, I can't take any credit on this. Like, uh, I I really like the idea of slowly learning how to refinish this stuff because it's easy to find the stuff that's too beat up for the average person to want to buy it. Yeah. Um. And but my wife Sarah, she's just a like, it's it's her like superpower is yeah. thrifting stuff. Yeah. Um. And it can be clothes, but like most of the furniture in our house is thrifted. Mm-hmm. Um, like like just a huge portion like whether it's a uh, you know, in Canada we have Value Village I'm not sure I don't think that's a thing in, in the States it's a, like a thrift store huh. but like a big one and they have all sorts of stuff and she'll find crazy things there that you're like well how did everybody else miss this yeah. she watches YouTube videos about thrifting like it's a it's a real hobby yeah. and then on top of that you add in the layer of like uh, Facebook Marketplace mm, or right. the uh, Habitat for Humanity has these reclaim centers where you can yeah. get really lucky but you just have to go with some frequency yeah, true. Um, to yeah. see the new stuff, and but we've gotten some insane deals on stuff that you know you it would it would pop up on Facebook Marketplace, and we go, oh, we'll buy that. You know, mid-century furniture is the mm-hmm. easy one. And by yeah. the time an hour, two hours later, that we go to pick it up, or later that evening, the person's like, I, I guess I had something. I've got a thousand messages offering oh, me more wow. money. Wow! And you're like, yeah, yeah well. This is yeah. a very rare teak yeah. desk. It's yeah. mine now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that stuff's great. And, and we had a good time with it. So uh, I'll probably, I think this might become like a little bit of a side side hobby. I'd love to occasionally fix stuff up and flip them, you know, when we run out of space. So that, that coffee table worked out really well and meant that we could move a different coffee table, an older, more beat up one down into the, uh, into the now, you know, TV space in the basement which is nice too, but I'll probably end up refinishing that and, uh, and working on that. So, I mean, I don't want to go down too, too far down the rabbit hole here, but I, it does remind me when you mentioned flipping the stuff and fixing it up, I, I used to share an office. This was many years ago with, with a guy who, um, had a thing for mid-century furniture, specifically Danish furniture and specifically of course, yeah. a designer, um, probably from the fifties and sixties named, named, uh, Jens Rissom. Okay. And he would seek the stuff out. And this was, early days probably of ebay or something i don't remember but he used to spend his time we'd shared this office and i'd see him and he would just be constantly trolling looking for this stuff and then i went to his house once for a dinner party or something and i was like where do you keep all this stuff and he led me into the attic of the house and it was just brimming just piled high with all of these old chairs and tables and everything that he was refinishing it was it was a legitimate little side business for him Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, Sarah follows people on Instagram that essentially thrift at a professional level. 
Wow. Yeah. Sarah's got a list on her phone of like specific things that she wants to find at yeah at yeah. like thrift stores, and in my mind, that's like counterintuitive like don't you just go and see what they have but apparently there's like a literacy to knowing oh yeah the stuff that's like worth something versus the stuff that's in every thrift store or value village everywhere yeah and it's like a it's a low-key like profession um and it, it's amazing she'll come she comes back with some of the most amazing stuff or i, I don't remember where i was i, I was on a, a work trip and yeah she turrowed a car and went into a big thing and then on the way back stopped at every thrift store on the way home from <laughs> you know two cities over yeah and found this table for 20 bucks. And now we you know it's a gorgeous, you know, yeah. table that we've got in the living room. I don't yeah, even know great. like what a what a modern nice brand new coffee table costs a lot, I assume. Yeah, I mean if you go to like room and board or something, I mean what what you're doing is actually reviving something that should be revived and and given a, you know another 50 years of life, you know. That's yeah. a, that's very responsible uh, citizenship. That's great. Cool. And she enjoys the, that whole process, and yeah. then I, on the other hand, really enjoyed refinishing the table. Yeah, um, so it's it's a good match that way, but uh, a nice little uh, little hobby developing there. Yeah, and nice. uh, and yeah, so that that's a, a, arguably kind of an exciting, fun weekend. I had I had a, quite a lovely weekend. The weather was okay. It was like pro- proper fall stuff, and then just you know watching stuff on the big screen and sanding a tea, sanding a, a you know a coffee table. Not so bad. <laughs> But yeah, trying to spend as much time at home because there's, you know, with, with Dubai yeah. Watch Week on the horizon and this trip down to um, PA, it's just a, it's a lot of moving around. So Yeah, right. Well, we have a pretty cool episode this week. Um, it was kind of a long time in the making and uh, really, really happy to, to have been able to welcome uh, Mark Hayek. Um, but before we jump into that, uh, let's do a quick uh, wrist check. What are you, what are you wearing? Yeah, sadly, as is my current scenario, um, don't worry, you don't have to feel bad for me, but I don't have a uh, Blanc Pond just yet. Uh, so I'm wearing my Pelagos 39. This, you know, this chat really does evolve a lot around the idea of dive watches and the fascination therein with yeah. diving. Yeah. And I thought at least the Pelagos fit that vibe, even if it doesn't fit at a corporate level. So my my apologies to um, to Mr. Hayek, of course, for uh, not yet having a Blanc Pond, but someday they remain deeply aspirational for me. And I, I hope people will start to understand why. When you listen to this man, um, because he is in charge of Blanc Pond, yeah. straight up, yeah. yeah, and has been for a long time, and I think it's really it starts to become very easy to see why there's so much um, corporate interest from that brand in diving and dive watches and in the oceans, and mm-hmm. and I think within that vibe, I think that really speaks. We've talked about this in the past. That speaks to us in terms of how you interface with the brand. And, uh, and, but yeah, for me, I, d- I don't have a, a Blanc Pond just yet, but we'll get there eventually for today. I, I wore what I, is currently my favorite dive watch, uh, which I thought was in the spirit of the, uh, of the episode. I think he could appreciate that. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's an avid diver and certainly a lover of dive watches. Um, and in, in, in my case, I, I was wearing uh, a Blanc Pond for our interview with, uh, with Mr. Hayek, uh, my Hodinkee special edition bathyscaphe, um, which uh, Gashani tends to wear more than me. And, and every time I put that thing on, I just think, oh, I got to wear this more often. So it's just an A plus watch. It really is. Love it. It truly is. That was a very special one. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Mark Hayek himself, uh, when he jumped on our, our little video chat, was wearing the Act 3 of the 70th anniversary 50 Fathoms. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that um, when we jump into the, the chat with him. Um, but yeah, he was, he was really gracious and, and well-humored and full of enthusiasm. And it was a real pleasure to have Mark Hayek finally on the gray NATO. So let's, uh, let's jump into that. Well, Mark Hayek, it's a real pleasure to welcome you to the gray NATO. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. It feels like a long time, long time coming to have you on the show. Yeah, it's really a pleasure. Thank you that I can be with you guys. I was going to ask you what uh, which watch you're wearing today, but I think I caught a glimpse of it on our video here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, in the moment it's still hard to take off since the event. Uh, I'm, I'm wearing this uh, the seventies, the last uh, the last piece of tree. Yeah, amazing, I, uh, amazing. That was such a didn't have enough chance to go diving with it. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, maybe this winter you can yeah, get we, away. No, <laughs> we're just planning to go to the lake this weekend. So <laughs> at oh, least that. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's been a busy year for for you and for Blancpain. Obviously, a, a huge year for Fifty Fathoms. Looking back, uh, what what were the highlights of this year? Yeah, it, it was uh, as you said, busy year, kicking off and starting very early. Uh, with uh with act one um 
something I think uh, expected, um, and we will see the future. There's a, a mid-size with the 42 millimeter, and and for me, emotional because uh, my first baby, um, as it is a re-edition of the 2003 piece, uh, and the yeah. first try on Ecom, uh, a lot to learn, <laughs> good experience, oh, but right. uh, uh, so it started busy. Uh, on many things and then emotional with the uh, with act two because uh, for me that's my my uh uh piece because it's really the spirit in the future and and and, and i'm uh with uh long very much in this uh in this complication and inventing it so uh unfortunately and uh, that's really what is uh kind of the, the the black spot in this year for me personally that i couldn't be there <laughs> physically in Rangi yeah. um uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, diving with you guys um and naturally uh, preparation was uh, quite big and stressed uh, and hectic because we had quite a lot of change in, in internal as well uh, with the with the team and uh, uh, so that went parallel in uh, preparing the event yeah. for the productory so now it's uh, yeah uh, it was a, a um, an interesting and busy year you know i'm curious um it was such a, a big year for for Blancpain and for the Fifty Fathoms, of course. And I think when most of our listeners of of the Grey NATO, and I think a lot of people when they think of Blancpain, think of the Fifty Fathoms and of diving watches. Um, Blancpain obviously is a brand that makes other kinds of watches. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm curious with your own intense interest in diving, and we'll talk about diving more in a bit here. How do you budget your time and, and what is your level of interest in other types of watches um, beyond the diving diving watches? A yeah. lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot because my second uh, big passion, a passion uh, actually also from very child on uh, was uh, huh. mechanics. So um, the watch side on, uh, on uh, having the, f- the functions in this yeah. tiny space um, and uh, I think it was, you know, uh, bicycles, motorcycles that's my side of 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 yes the sport side as yeah. well of riding them oh. but uh working on them you know on the, on the mechanical side so um i have a big love and interest uh for also uh and we're developing for many years you will see uh, uh non-diving watches <laughs> and uh, uh another passion that come out uh, will come out uh, in the next uh, two three years projects we're working on for the last seven eight years um oh. parallel um that has nothing yeah. to do with the diving yeah it, for me it's the mechanics and the movement it's the functionality the technology uh it's the the mechanical side that uh, i have a, a big passion for as well so uh, uh that's the other side and it was a bit uh, calm uh, on this side at blancpain for the last uh, a few years uh, not because we didn't put attention or the love was not there yeah uh, because it's just uh to you know to do something consequent and that makes sense and 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 uh, for me, that is something that is worthwhile spending this much time. It's not just first say, oh, commercial, we need something uh, that's cool, that's in, we do it the easy way. Yeah, you know, it's really to to uh, do something we have not done, we missing, we are want to achieve something, and and you know, at the, you know, the first eyes that have to you know light up and uh, be passionate yeah. uh, around here. Yeah. Uh, myself, it, it, it takes time. So uh, again, we are full power working uh, on this already for over seven years huh, and wow. the second one uh, for about five so in the next 25 26 27 there are none uh, <laughs> diving <laughs> watches yeah. very highly complicated uh, the other side of plop that will uh, come out that are uh, they were not forgotten or slowed down it was just the rhythm of developing yeah yeah makes sense now going back uh, a number of years you are the grandson of the late great uh, nicholas hayek um, and I'm, I'm guessing that your first watch was probably a swatch, but the, do you remember your first watch? <laughs> and that was before. It was before swatch. I was very happy when swatch started <laughs> because I was seen, uh, even before we were really in the watch industry, in the consulting, I was uh, six, seven years old. And uh, they said, he's a weird child. <laughs> you know, the diary stuff, okay. okay. I loved watches. Huh. I wanted weekends to go. Had a one watch thought I was open uh, on oh. a yeah, it was a bourgeois on on weekends yeah and I, I killed my grandmother I grew up with my my grandparents uh, mainly mm-hmm. uh, you know, that that I I, I loved watches huh. I remember uh, uh, that was a uh, you know, different uh, watches then it wasn't only mechanic it was the functions you know to be honest I remember my first uh, what I was completely uh, you know from all the watches I thought it was fascinating this 
uh, to bring this in this tiny space. But uh, it was the Formula One time, I think, with, when Tissu was active. So it was the Tissu, I think you called F1. Yeah. Multifunction. It was digit, it was uh, quads. Yeah. But um, that was end, end 70s, actually. Hmm. Huh. Um, and uh, I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and then we got into more watches. This watch came in uh, a few years later in A2, so I was very happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When it comes to your family name, the Hayek name is obviously uh, associated so strongly with watches. And mm. and I remember um, speaking with uh, Fabien Cousteau a number of years ago and about if there was any pressure to having the name Cousteau. Um, obviously, his grandfather was Jacques Cousteau, you know, synonymous with diving. Was there ever any question that you would not go into the watch industry in your career? I, I, I looked at your Wikipedia page and it says that you studied oenology or the study of wine. Yeah, I think it says that well that I, um, uh, my passion is playing tennis. Ah. So uh, unfortunately, yeah, but it's very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. I have to admit, I did not stu uh, study oenology, so oh. I'm not planting. I I'm very interested, but I have never uh, had the idea to actually cultivate and plant uh, and produce wine. Yeah. Uh, I did uh, sommelier mm. because okay. at the restaurant I had. The, so uh, it's not oenology. It's a uh, uh, there's a part in sommelier, yeah. but I don't have a diploma of oenology. Okay, diploma of uh, sommelier. Okay. So uh, there's oh. a little, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little difference in Wikipedia. Yeah, uh, yeah. But the passion for wine is, uh, I love the wine production, but it's the passion of, of, yeah, the wine and and and, and it's not only wine. It's the 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 uh, marriage of of uh, drinks from tea to uh, to wines mm -hmm. uh, with the explosion yeah. you can have with the right uh, food or the right food that it amplifies it and i thought this is uh this is something uh that uh i was very interested in as i went uh, a little bit out of the watch uh, industry into the gastronomy as well yeah. uh it was this side that uh passionate uh, i was most passionate about uh to be honest and i never had the pressure to go into watch industry i said i i was uh when we got uh family with you know a uh, bit like mckinsey uh, um actually business consultant and got like this uh in the hmm. crisis in the watch industry uh, that was in uh, the early 80s, uh, 1980, yeah. 80, around. Um, I was uh, nine years old then, um, 1980, and I, I remember when I was uh, seven, eight, that I, uh, yeah, that's why I said, a weird child, I loved watches. So when you got the watches, yeah. I was <laughs> the happy part of the family. So I had no pressure to go into watches uh, at yeah. all because I loved them. Yeah. And uh, I had the chance to always hear, you know, do what you have passion. Uh, yourself, you put yourself a pressure. Uh, the second love was marine biology. I put myself pressure to say, oh, no, this is, I want to continue that and uh, keep this as a passion, a hobby. Maybe I would have yeah. chosen differently, but that's not pressure from my family. That was uh, something I felt I wanted um, by, by being confronted, by seeing that. Uh, but I, I had the chance. I never had um, any, any pressure uh, from my grandfather to say, hey, you have to continue and you have to study this. Uh, I, I had the chance to not yeah. do it. Maybe you felt even more pressure with <laughs> having this freedom to see it now, but um, I, I cannot accuse them to have put any pressure on me. Huh. Interesting. You know, you mentioned uh, marine biology and, and an early interest in that. And when we were on the panel discussion in Cannes, um, you had mentioned that from a very young age, you grew up spending a lot of time near the ocean. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about your your diving background. Um, I, I always get the sense that, um, and I don't know you very well, but uh, in the few interactions we've had that you're, you'd almost be more happy on a dive boat or underwater than anywhere else. Is that a fair statement? A hundred percent. Before I got married, I had my son. I have to say for many years, um, 10 years probably in more. I have to remember, I don't think I spend one single day of holiday or took holiday or traveled anywhere that was different than a lifeboat so for <laughs> me the idea holiday is liverboard yeah yeah true when did you first start a di start diving and 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 where did where did you start diving yeah i had a chance i was very uh, grew up very close to a lake so i was always in water mm -hmm. uh something mm -hmm. i grew up on you know my father my mother was uh into already into horses and I have a farm, so I was growing up with animals. Uh, so this biology side, the animal nature side, 
was for me something very, very present. Mm -hmm. And the love was just for the ocean since I can walk or for the water. That's why it's a lake. And as my grandfather was from uh, Lebanon, Mediterranean country, yeah. and being in Switzerland, uh, any any moment, free time, when I was in south of France, was you know he missed that. He was not diving mm-hmm. at all. Um, but uh, the, 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 I think the ocean. So I had the chance from very little to to spend uh, whatever free time we had or uh, school holidays, whatever. Uh, I, I was at yeah in south of France. Yeah. At that time, it was uh, you know. We tried. That's why you see the plastic bottles. I wanted to scuba dive, yeah. uh, but uh, it was snorkeling. You know, it was uh, uh, hunting. You had a spear gun. Oh. I never had the heart to shoot anything. <laughs> <laughs> so to be honest, <laughs> I was not a good hunter. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was uh, snorkeling and seeing and and free diving. And then when I uh, I waited uh, desperate to uh, be able uh, to 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 stay longer and uh, finally uh, take a bottle and uh, start scuba diving and the limit was 12 years at that time and that was the only year because of something when i had my 12th birthday the first holidays uh we went because the house was rebuilt something uh to the atlantic side to uh of france yeah Uh, so i started diving uh on this side what was kind of brutal (laughs) (laughs) to be honest atlantic is um Yeah. yeah Yeah, uh, not the Mediterranean. A bit harder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Mediterranean. So my start was Atlantic. Wow. Uh, when I was 12. Uh, then a little bit Mediterranean and uh, actually uh, stayed on free diving and uh, a bit left and right. Didn't have uh, really close friends that did it until I was uh, like 1920. Yeah. So there were a few dives. I started when I was 12, but uh, then didn't really do a lot of dives with uh, on scuba. Uh, stayed more on free diving. And uh, was twenty. It really uh, picked up with uh, uh, getting friends, making uh, passionate divers, and from then on, uh, from twenty to uh, yeah, yeah, from then on, it was uh, yeah. scuba diving. That's it. And now you're <laughs> now you're diving with uh, Laurent Belesta. I mean, what a what an amazing yeah. dream uh, came true. <laughs> top of his game. Yeah, you know, you you've obviously achieved some some high levels of of proficiency and certification in diving, including. Closed circuit rebreather mm-hmm. diving, uh, which you took up a few years back, yeah. um, in I believe in Rangaroa. Is that where you learned that? Absolutely. Uh, when I was on the, I was in uh, Fakarava uh, with the seven hundred sharks oh, with yeah. The, yeah. Mr. Mero uh, with the expedition, and uh, a chance to do uh, during that. I was I was uh, still making bubbles. Yeah. Um, I said, ah, you cannot come on the expedition. And I, and I do another dive because you disturb with your bubbles. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Uh, at Shawmark said, come on, uh, you do a butt team. Yeah. And uh, put the rebreather on me, which I did. I did the butt team. And uh, I said, okay, forget it. Called my uh, the office, changed the plan, and stayed uh, three additional weeks and uh, went to <laughs> Rangiroa and did my certification one, two. And uh, since then, uh, yeah. yeah, that was 2014. So it's, uh, yeah, basically uh, no more bubbles. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. You know, as a as a long time diver myself, I I often um, I, I I'm I had a chance to try uh, closed circuit rebreathers in in Rangaroa, and I, I've often been curious whether that will be the future of recreational diving. If it's the type of technology that mm-hmm. will get less expensive and more accessible to more people, and because when you think about wearing a cylinder, it's it's technology from the 1940s. You know, absolutely. What, what do you think? Do you think rebreathers will catch on with a larger population or will it stay specialized? I think it stays specialized uh, because all the rebreathers that you see that are developed that actually have more electronics, more help, uh, make it easier. You don't really decrease the risk um, in the country very often. Mm. And uh, so you have a lot yeah. of the negative mm-hmm. sides and that you don't manage really to decrease. And uh, you just decrease the positive sides with yeah. it. And I think it's because it's the dive by itself. Yeah, it could be the future of recreational diving. The preparation mm-hmm. before and after dive and the whole risk by the dive, there's less risk than open circuit. But the risk is the preparation yeah. and the, 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 the after dive. And I think this is too consequent, also too time and concentration mm-hmm. intense. And there's no way you shorten this uh, without taking additional uh, really, uh, really bad risks that it really can pick up yeah. to a, a very large public. 
Yes, it develops. What I think is nice, you have more chances as a rebreather mm-hmm. diver, but really in recreational replacing, I personally don't think so. And I see it now with my son that is still blocked for another few months uh, to, until he can uh, officially start a rebreather. You know, they did a button. Uh, so uh, yeah. I re got to, uh, wow. to, to open circuit. And the easiness, the quickness, the I enjoy it a lot. You know, it's it's for me, it's two different things that should live yeah. as two different things. I think if you're a passionate diver, it's great to do it and to practice it a little regularly if you have the chance, because you have dives that are just magic that you that opens things to you that you don't have on closed. But there's so many normal dives and other dives that you don't actually gain anything. You just have Instead of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. having the beer after and chatting and being passionate with other divers, you are doing your machine. And that for the yeah. same dive where you don't win anything yeah. doesn't make yeah. sense. I think it can get wider. Don't let me know. It's developing. But I don't think it will. It's a replacement yeah. of open circuit. I think it's a, an, a second thing to open circuit. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's let's talk a little bit about diving watches. Um, you know, we speaking of rebreathers, uh, the Act Two, of course, was the Tech Gondessa, um, a really amazing piece and and simple, but uh, such so innovative. I, I thought uh, it was a really impressive watch, uh, one of the more impressive watches of any brand this year, I think. And um, you co-developed this with with Laurent Bellesta, of course, and it, it feels like a bit of a step into the future for mechanical dive watches, which was a, a bit of a relic, right? I mean, the, the dive watches are sort of nostalgic pieces. Do you, do you think that going forward, diving watches still have a place with divers or are they more of a memento or a symbol these days? No, I think they do have a place, um, to be honest. I mean, on on, on, on both. Uh, personally, I have to say, uh, with Open Circuit, my dive watch has a place because I, I still grew up in a generation on diving where you still learned to dive tables. So yes, dive computers started to exist, existed, but you still had to learn them. And so you had a kind of an idea what was happening where you were. And I think that's that's something important. Yeah. So it's a second instrument that gives me orientation, even though I'm not like like Dietmar uh, folks that was there that is uh, still enjoying exclusively diving without computer. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not this. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. Uh, this extreme, but. Uh, it, it's kind of a, a, a still instrument that I I use, but I have to admit, with the uh, closed circuit, it started to more more just being in a. I take it with me because beautiful. I did not use it. You know, you don't have the safety stuff the same way. That's when yeah. it, it takes off, and the times are anyway a bit longer. So it started of getting less useful. Weirdly. I cannot really, you know, I wasn't conscious, but I, I myself realized it. And in the same time, now with the tech, it's way more that I use it than actually even open circuits my dive watch. So, yes, I, I think it has, when you're a bit yeah. passionate about dive, diving, still a, a real use, not replacing computer, um, but it is still more than just nostalgic uh, access to it that you, yeah. you know, I started wearing it and didn't even put the bezel anymore with the rebreather because anywhere you go with our, you know, it's like, wait a minute, that's just, yeah, then it doesn't, yeah, it lost it. And uh, here I think yeah. it's even a further step. It's, it's, I use it more clearly. That's why the idea came with Laura. Mm. Uh, that actually uh, out of the same, yeah. he said, damn, you know, 50 I turn, I, I don't use it. But I would actually really like to have this. And uh, that's how the idea came. So I think, yes. Uh, and I think that's also important, even though it's not the main instrument. If we start losing the idea of what watchmaking and watches were developed for, that's an instrument. I mean, uh, we talk about mm-hmm. diving. It's evident, yes, it's a dive instrument. The computers existed way later, in 82, the first ones. Yeah. So there were uh, destinies where you had obligatory, you dive watch as a, uh, uh, yeah, can't dive without. It's your computer, it's, it's your instrument uh, that got in this use uh, uh, replaced, but all the watches, huh? if we go back uh, to the tourbillon, hundreds of years, that was not invented because it looked cool and it was expensive and chic. That was purely precision for yeah. actually uh, a site that is not so positive for the army, for winning wars, <laughs> for the precision of coordinating, you know, gaining precision. The complications were, instruments were, were always done for a use. And even if you have alternatives today, or uh, it's not a pure 
essence of the development, if we lose the spirit, it's just going to be a gadget. Yeah. For me, the, the, the essence of why you're starting to develop something, uh, it has to have this functionality and use and idea at the end. You know, a minted repeater was actually because you have many, many blind people in the wars. Uh, no time. So if you cannot hear it anymore, it has no use. So you, 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 you know, the, the, the same thing, if a tourbillon is less precise in any position than any three hands non-tourbillon that we're producing, I would not bring it out. It but will not make a huge yeah. difference and the quartz watch will be more precise. But if we lose this yeah. idea in the development and say, well, yeah. we don't care. What are we creating in 10, 20, 30 years from now on? It's going to be, you know, then you can get a painting, you can get a sculpture from Tingley that is great in mechanics, but doesn't have any function. And that's what a watch will be if we, yeah. for me, if we lose this spirit. So not only life watches, I think that's the base of every start of development, the goal. They say the base idea of this thing was what? The base idea of the first complication, the date. If the date doesn't jump, if it doesn't work, everybody would scream. So it has to work. It has yeah. to indicate yeah. the days of the month. If you have a watch with a date and it goes only to 27 days. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's the same thing with the other complication. It has to fulfill yeah. the use. Yeah. And you have to fill use, even though it's replaced. You know, the watch, the mechanical watch is replaced by iPhones, by mobile phones, by wherever we have the time. Doesn't mean the watch doesn't have to give you time anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, looking back at, at uh, Blancpain's history, especially this year, um, you know, at the event in Cannes, there were a lot of historic 50 Fathoms watches on display. And back when, when you joined the company and, and released the, mm -hmm. the 50th anniversary edition, uh, you were with uh, Robert Maloubier, you know, who was there at present at the very beginning. Blancpain has, has morphed, has become a different sort of brand in all of these years, in 70 years. And, and it's distinctly yeah. a, a luxury brand do you ever see a, a time or, or is it the positioning of the brand that would say prevent you from creating something on a more affordable level in terms of a dive watch um that would harken back to kind of a, a or 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 is Blancpain just such a different company now that that you'll kind of stay in this in this space no i think yeah and if you're not comfortable with this, we can we can skip over this. No, topic. no, it's just it's just no, 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 no. It's a, <laughs> okay. a very good question and interesting. It's just uh, that the, the yes, uh, we are positioned that that, that prevents from uh, uh, producing that watch more affordable. Uh, the, 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 it's not a, an full complete answer if I say yes. Mm -hmm. It's part of it. That's why I said mm, yes. Yeah, but it's not the whole que uh, question because uh, first we have to see you had more or less. Uh, the, the, the guys you had uh, at that time, uh, dive watches or uh, other watches, you had Omega, you had Rolex, mm -hmm. uh, you had Blompa. We were slightly higher. We're talking uh, uh, 300, 400 uh, uh, francs dollars at that time. So yeah. not comparable, but it was this upper segment already mm -hmm. for the watches. Uh, so it was in this segment. It, it didn't completely you know, change. Now, Today, the way we want to do it and the way we are doing it with, uh, with uh, high-end mechanical watches, 100% uh, undeveloped on this level, puts us in a, in, a, in a... That's why the first shot at was, yes, it prevents <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. the affordable yeah. um, uh, to a certain way from the point and so on. But you get close to this price in a high-end mechanical watch, uh, dive watch, uh, with all these elements that you want, no matter what segment. and then. I think you have then the in between. It's the same thing, you know, on, on dive equipment. You have a little bit less, but it's how long do you have it? How long does it last? How much does it not scratch this side? Right. Uh, it doesn't have a sapphire bezel. So you have an, you know, because you still stay or close, you know, is it 8,000 or is it 4,000? Right. Or 5,000. That's still an upper. But then we're talking about a few hundred. And for me, that's, that's why I'm I'm happy with the with the swatch. I was happy. I loved the swatch scuba at that time. Oh yeah. And I could not understand why the hell are we not continuing doing yeah. the scuba? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, it, it kind of looked like a little 50 roundish bubbleish. It had something. Yeah. I always loved that. Yeah. That that that, that dive watch. And for me, that was my holiday uh, dive watch. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I'm very happy to to that we can bring out something. You know, redo a 
Cuba, with more influence of Blancpain, uh, because I think that's exactly the other end. And you can do it mechanical, because then you go to the extreme. Now, I'm personally much less in the middle. Mm-hmm. I, I feel you have the most you have the most collectors, you have the most passion uh, in the products on the extremes. On Swatch, you have historically collectors crazy a passion, and you have it on the high end. Mm-hmm. You don't really have the Russian lines and collectors on 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 the mid range, uh, on the mid range. So I think these two extremes are for me what I think feel the most interesting. Yeah. To either go all way, invest in the future. Yeah. That's for my son. That's for everything, you know, that's a blopper. Yeah. Or, no, I hope it's a blopper. Right, right. <laughs> but there's competition, yeah. you know, one of the other good guys. Yeah. Um, that's everything is fine. You know, that's, that's, that's the passion. And, and thank God uh, people have different tastes. So uh, I'm very happy. It's not only blopper. I would hate it. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know, in this segment, or you go and have fun, mm-hmm. you have passion. And uh, then it's a segment as well. It's not only watch, a swatch, but for me, that's more. So that's why I say that's not hindering because I wouldn't want to do something a little bit less. Yeah. You know, either really go crazy on the low segment where you can have really fun, really creative uh, and cool, like the swatch, mm-hmm. or then really go all the way. Um, but that's just me. That's my philosophy. So I don't feel hindered in any way. Well, and you got to have some fun with an affordable watch this year. Uh, yeah. The uh, I, I mean, I forgot to even mention that, but the the <laughs> the, 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 the Swatch collaboration, which is an uh, was such a fun release, and everybody was wondering about this, and I, I got to finally see one in Cannes, and they're they're pretty neat. Um, but I'm glad you mentioned the Swatch Scuba because I remember that from back way back when, and it had a depth gauge, and it was this big chunky yeah, yeah. watch. Those were fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there's been talk, and even when Omega partnered with Swatch for the Moon Swatch, um, you know, a lot of people online were questioning whether this diminishes the brand name. You know, does this does this drag down the name Omega or diminish the Speedmaster or the 50 Fathoms in the case of the Blanc Pen? Um, but how do you feel about that? Obviously, it's not a concern of yours. Yeah. No, I don't think because you know it could, if it would be a purely commercial idea to say, okay, we want to sell swatches. So we use a, an Omega name or a, a Blancpain name to, to to sell it a bit more expensive and 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 uh, create a hype. Then it would be very uh, big potential to be uh, uh, nocive and and negative. Yeah. Now it's really the heart and all the elements are in there to, again, it's it's bringing the scuba richer and 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 back to, you know, that is swatch and and and, and an iconic piece. Again, because that's why my first answer was yes when he said, oh, Blomper is limiting you to make. Yeah. My first answer was yes, because that was a yes, because I felt like there's so many elements I will bring. And for me, not only dive watches, the, the positive side and beauty why I'm in the luxury segment is not because I've been, you know, the bling bling luxury side of it has to be expensive. Mm-hmm. I love that in luxury, you have the, 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 the time and the, for me, the, the obligation the only difference between a very high-end product and a higher uh, mid-range product is the details. Uh, so it's not worth. What's the 1% and you pay three times more? Yeah. That's the details. That's the one that after a month, it's even more beautiful. You discover things. You touch it. You, you, you know, it feels different. Touch is different. But the, the, you know, it's, that's the details. The time you spend. Ben and the crazy you go with no 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 we have to read that the feeling of the click we measure every single click of the strength and of the sound the basal gives huh. you cannot do that yeah. if you go a little bit lower and that's what I love on luxury but that's I am this passion this 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 everything that has in a fifty I'm closing this from so many people that I don't want to close it you know it's not always oh, expensive because it's elitaire. Yeah. No, that's the negative side of the luxury business for mm, me, the yeah, price. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, again, then having the chance to bring so many elements, the history, the functionality, this feeling, this click, this precision, this understanding, the bubble glaze, the, the, you know, the dive watch. Yeah. Scuba has all this. this the, the, the Scuba 50 mm-hmm. has that. Yeah. And there I make a jump. There are open to three thousand francs. That's, that's opening. Going down from eight, nine, ten thousand to five thousand, four thousand, that's still way out of price for most of the people. Uh, so 
for me, that's that's the jump where I'm interested. That's yeah. where uh, I think. And if you do that right, you know, first of all, it helps to for Blompad to bring people and say, discover, discover the brand, discover what are you doing, what are they making, and right. what is a dive watch. When did that start? <laughs> uh, and get this this history of BOC. And that's opening because you're not afraid of, I will not go search on the internet thing or something that I could never afford. It's normal. Yeah. And you're closing all these people of, of, of all this rich story, history, interesting, this passion about, and also about diving and about the watch industry mm-hmm. and mechanical watches. Today, when we talk about mechanical watches, very often we say, oh, yeah. And you limit 80% of the people because it's expensive. Right. No, high technology, the system 51. Yeah. I mean, it's revolutionary on, on mechanical movement. It's high technology. Mm-hmm. It's not just a cheap movement with, with cheaper components and cheaper materials. Yeah. It's high technology. 51 pieces, that's that's less than half of any else, any other movement that was produced. In, and, and with the power reserve to the, up to our level, that watches for five, six, seven thousand don't get <laughs> more. So and getting this interest, you know, is opening the door on on watches, on mechanical watches that I felt so often frustrated of eliminating people, of having just the interest and and, and discovering it and and having fun with it, raising because of the price that you would not even start reading about it. Yeah. And yeah. that's why I think it helps the industry, it helps Blomper, it helps mechanical watch. Mm-hmm. I don't see what is the negative. And there's not one element. I mean, it's a swatch. Mm-hmm. It's not a Blompa. Mm-hmm. It is a swatch. Very much inspired and helped by Blompa and the 50 Fathom. But it is a swatch. Mm-hmm. So what should it take away from Blompa? Yeah. You know, it's not a copy Blompa that if we would do a Blompa with the collaboration of swatch and sell it on the Blompa and the Blompa boutiques instead of 10,000 for 3,000. Yeah. That would be the death of it. Yeah, I would never do that. Uh, you know, you mentioned um, how it might help generate interest in dive watches and diving, and and it mm-hmm. makes me think that I'd like to switch gears and talk a little bit about the BOC, the Blancpain Ocean Commitment, because I, I think for me personally, it was a dive watch that got me interested in diving, and then diving introduces you to the ocean, and then you care about the ocean. Yeah, and yes. for those that weren't fortunate enough to to sit in and listen on the panel that we had in Cannes. Talking about the BOC, maybe you can just give a brief background on the genesis of of the of the Blancpain Ocean Commitment and and what it means to you. Yeah, that's also an, uh, an element where I'm happy with <laughs> exactly opening this because I think that's exactly the approach. You know, it's it's um, for me it was this important to exactly like what you said one one. Uh, you know, to start discovering and you said, whoa, wait a minute, we don't know. I, and, and start liking it. Mm-hmm. Start having instead of just fear that was implanted in us, and that is understandable because the ocean is uh, hugely strong, hugely mysterious, and uh, a part dangerous, so normal. But um, it's more interesting than than actually dangerous, available. And I think when you start that, it's that step, and that was for me the goal with 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 BOC. Mm-hmm. Not every blomp. A client and 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 uh, uh, fifty fathom is is diving, and you don't have to be a, a diver or tech diver to to discover the underwater world. Right. You know, um, put a mask, uh, uh, and if you don't know how to swim, uh, swim mask and float and yeah. see what's happening. Yeah, yeah, that's already you get in and um, yeah, opening the space and giving kind of something back. That's that's what I want to give back to the ocean. It's not just giving money to a project and saying, oh, we protect. You know, that's what we do that. We need to help. But it's every single person, you know, putting this little mask on, seeing and saying exactly what he said. Whoa, I started liking it. I started diving and I started getting interest. And I come to BSC and I come to try to do something for the for the world, for the ocean and for our future generations. Yeah. I get conscious. Yeah. And for me, that's the way you get we get a result. Yeah. I see it with me. You could tell me for destinies what I have to do and what is horrible. I'm sorry, I'm human. I, I will find so arguments and informations that will prevent me from having to look at the ugly things and what I have to do and what I don't want to do. Uh, it's the moment where I see things and look and say, Jesus, what's that? Whoa, that's fascinating. Oh, no, we cannot destroy it. That's when I start acting. Yeah. Bringing people to look what is ha- that are down there and say, whoa, that's nice. Yeah. That's 
the biggest thing I can give back to the ocean. Yeah, it's it reminds me of the quote that standing on the shore and looking at the ocean is like looking at the outside of a circus tent. And it's only when you put your head <laughs> in the beautiful. water and you open the flaps and you see the circus inside. And that's what diving that's... is, right? Or snorkeling even. Yeah, yeah. I will quote you, but might reuse that's beautiful. <laughs> that's a very, very nice. Uh... Yeah, it is nice. I, I can't lay, I can't uh, own that, or, but uh, I heard it and I've always loved that uh, that quote. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, like, where where is your favorite place to dive in, in the entire world? Where have you been that you go back to or would love to go back to? Probably out of my stomach right away like this, I would say uh, Polynesia. Yeah. Uh, but then there are so many other yeah. places yeah. popping up. Yeah. Have you been to the Maldives? <laughs> I, yes. Yeah. I. Uh, that's probably why I've been long time. I've been lots uh, yeah. <laughs> to all the corners of Maldives. Yeah. That was uh, before I discovered I was the first time in Polynesia. It was clear Maldives because that's the only place I feel... Uh, and it has an advantage. That's also why I'm a bit hesitating with uh, Polynesia and Rongiroa because it's fascinating as nature is the, the, the size of everything mm -hmm. and the, the force and the strength and the, the brutal side as well. Yeah. Uh, but the Maldives, they have, that's the only place in the world I know uh, that has from the huge guys to the beauty of, of the corals Okay, a little bit more difficult now to get. So, yeah, yeah. That's, but um, you know that was exceptional. Uh, and you have to micro creatures. I, I, I don't know anywhere. You can go to 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 uh, Indonesia to to have all uh, the macro stuff, uh, but you have no big guys. You have no visibility. You, have no, you can go to Rongiroa. You have the big guys, but um, you have no nice corals and little guys and right, uh, right. So. Maldives for me. Yeah. If there would be one place, probably where, if we would have a little bit less bleaching, uh, but I would have said one place in the world, if I had to choose that, I can only dive. Yeah. Maldives, because that's the only place I know where you have everything. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And the closest to a liveaboard. And, and, and how about a place you've never been that you would like to dive? Too many. <laughs> one uh, I was also supposed to be and we should supposed to, to, to dive together Socorro yes I have not been Amazing. and I absolutely want to go there just a, so, so yeah, that's yeah, uh, yeah. top of the list yeah, still <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, then there is uh, in, uh, some parts missing in uh, Micronesia mm -hmm. uh, I have something on my list uh, that is a bit newer yeah that I want to see. That's uh, in uh, actually in um, uh, Iconic oh, yes. uh, yeah. plates. Oh yes, uh, yeah. 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 Ooh, like uh, so that's newer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. it's also came to the list. I have to do yeah. that one day. Yeah, yeah. I hope I can still do it. Um, yeah, yeah. You see, it's not only losing hair; you get older. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have to hurry up to see everything I want to see. <laughs> well, we're reaching the uh, the end of our time here, um, but I just wanted to to really thank you for taking the time for for sitting down with me and and chatting for the Grey Nader. It's it was a real pleasure. Really a pleasure. Uh, thank you, and thank you uh, for everything you're doing for Watchers and for us and for the whole industry. It's really a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Mark Hayek. Have a good weekend. Later. Bye-bye. Okay, and that was a chat, uh, I think a really great chat between uh, Mark Hayek and Jason. Uh, uh, Jason, what, what a treat to have a guy like that on and to learn a little bit more. I feel like most CEOs only carry the message with good reason. They stick to the mm -hmm. core message. They they say that and, and like... You don't necessarily get 45 minutes to nerd out on stuff. And and certainly he yeah. managed the message fine. He's an incredible CEO. But he's also just like kind of the ideal guy to be running a brand that has an incredible history in dive watches. Yeah. You know, you can see why since the early 2000s, they've had this like very clear push to continue in dive watches, to do ocean commitment, to support people like Ballesta. Mm -hmm. I think it all kind of wraps up into one. And I think a lot of that comes from the top down. I agree. And I, I, I was really um, pleased that, that he was willing to kind of talk about kind of anything that I brought up in, in terms of questions and didn't dance around issues and, and really was, um, you know, didn't just kind of toe a corporate line with sound bites. I mean, he was really game to just chat about diving and where he liked to dive and his own history with watches. And um, yeah, it was a really fun discussion and uh, so happy to finally have him on the show. We I think we've been teasing this for, for quite a while, even since back with uh, 
with our couple of chats we've done with Laurent Balesta over the years. And, and it was finally a pleasure to, to get Mark Hayek on the show. So yeah, good stuff. Totally. That was a great one. Well, look, right. with that in mind, we've had uh, a solid episode, a lot of chit chat up top. You want to p- put a bow on it with some final notes? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I'm actually suggesting another podcast. Uh, you know, I actually don't listen to it. Wait, of there podcasts. are other podcasts? There are a few others. Yeah, just a handful. <laughs> <laughs> other slackers out there like us. Yeah. Yeah. And this is uh, this is from one of my favorite websites, actually, and one we've talked about before, but it's the Adventure Journal, which was started by Steve Casimiro. And uh, I've always enjoyed their print magazine and their website. And um, they've got some great kind of writers and content producers over at uh, AJ. And they now have a podcast called the Adventure Journal Podcast. And I, I think what's what's cool about this is, well, for one thing, you know, for those of you that like, that appreciate good audio quality on a, on a podcast, I think um, these are, you know, well-recorded and, and produced, certainly. But also, I think the topics are, are kind of core TGN with even a, a more focused look at, you know, what what adventure journal is all about, which is, is, you know, outdoor adventure and gear and travel and that sort of stuff. And so currently I'm seeing one, two, three, four, five episodes, uh, currently in their feed dating back to early October. So they're, they're kind of fresh into this Nice, and they're all about an hour. Some, some are a little longer, some are a little shorter. Uh, but you know, they, they're tackling like some, some very niche topics, which I really like, you know, there's the, the one that kind of turned me on was, was this, sort of philosophical argument about uh, kicking over cairns, you know, like a, the, the stone yeah, of course. piles of rocks that people put on hiking trails. And and there's this whole controversy about whether they're useful or detrimental. Um, some people, you know, these guys are both saying that they, whenever they see them and they aren't uh, an actual aid to navigation, they'll, they'll actually kick them over. And, and, you know, they have this whole discussion about that. They talk about is backpacking uh, overrated. They talk about, you know, <laughs> the hardcore lifestyle, um, they revisit that that uh, mysterious case out of Russia from from back in the 1950s about those um, Russian campers that mysteriously died in their tents. Um, they talk a little bit about that. Um, so it's it's just fun. It's a it's a good alternative podcast. One that I'm really enjoying. These guys have a, a kind of a pleasant interaction. Um, not not a lot of you know shouting or or you know controversy or whatever it's just a good spirited discussion about a, a number of stuff that i think the tgn crowd would be on board with so yeah uh, always happy to to send people towards uh, kind of a complimentary publication or in this case podcast so yeah check it out the adventure journal podcast nice yeah the, i mean that's a good fit for them i'm, I'm kind of surprised i guess to learn that they maybe didn't have a podcast before this but it's it's also a nice little treat to get to start a podcast from the start. These days when I hear about a podcast, I go in, there's 200 episodes. Yeah, yeah. And you go like, I'm not going to be up on the jokes on this one. Oh, right. I'm going to be behind on the inside jokes and that kind of thing. But that that sounds great. And, uh, you know, Adventure Journal, I feel like we've been talking about for years. We probably yeah. have. Yeah. I have to hit the uh, complete TGN uh, to, to check the transcripts. But oh, right. uh, they do a great product. And I, I think a podcast would be great uh, from them. So that'll be added to Pocket Cast immediately. That's a good uh, good suggestion. Yeah. Why don't you uh, finish this out with uh, with your final note? Yeah, mine is a little doodad that I got for the office. So I'm still kind of working through, you know, various things about the workspace, the office. We've talked about it a bunch with, between speakers and, and stuff like that. And this is actually, um, I, I know that I talked about it years ago when I started to get into some of the more smart light stuff, the Wiz platform, which is like the cheaper version of Philips Hue. Yeah. But it's it's a system that doesn't use a hub. Uh, basically. So you're just adding bulbs and other stuff where you want. You program it all through your phone. It links up with Google Home if that's what you want to use. Um, and I have these all over the house. I do really like... It's my go-to like platform, whether it's for LED strips or bulbs or otherwise. And the the one thing that I found is, of course, like with a normal light switch, which you can install, you can put a light switch in that's a smart light switch and interacts with your, your lights. Yeah. But I don't want to always be interfacing with the lights. And, and through a YouTube channel, I, I realized that uh, Wiz actually makes $25 is what they charge for it. But they make a, a motion sensor that's battery operated. Huh. So you just put it in a space yeah, and then program it in the app to decide what it does and what the lag time is and the rest of it. So oh. I have it where if I walk into my office, it turns on all the lights. Oh, wow. Okay. That's cool. And then if if I leave the office after three minutes, it shuts them all off. Huh. Huh. And I have the little Wiz remote where it's got four buttons and you could program each one and each one could do something else in my house. Mm-hmm. This is no buttons. Yeah. 
And I feel like 50% of the time I walk into my office with my hands full of something. It's very mm-hmm. dark. You know, mm-hmm. there's a little tiny well window. It's in a basement. And this means that I just, I stroll in and it's on. The, yeah. the, the, the LED lighting behind my monitor and then I have a big 100 watt equivalent bulb in the corner uh, that faces up to up towards the ceiling. Those just come on on their own. Yeah. And then I also don't have, uh, as I get older, I picked up more on like my dad's thing or a lot of people, dad, a lot of people's dad's thing <laughs> about leaving lights on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, I don't press anything. I just leave. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Do you know if they're, I was looking on their website while you're talking and I'm curious whether there's any level of water or temperature resistance. If this is something you could put outside a door and have it turn on an outside light. You know, I know you can get motion sensing outdoor lights, but I th- I think the move at that point would be to move to probably to go to either like Blink or uh, Ufi Ufi I can't, I don't know how to actually say it. I'll put it yeah. in the show notes, I guess. Yeah. Um, and that one you can get where uh, it's lights, motion sensor, and the camera. Oh, sure. Yeah. But I don't believe Wiz does um, exterior anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But also everything's much less expensive than Hue. Yeah. So there's that option yeah. too. Huh. Very cool. I like this. Yeah. It's just nice, solid, simple tech that took two minutes to to set up. Yeah. And I clipped it into a pegboard and... Well, I had tried... I don't know if it was the Philips system, but it required a hub and that I yep. that turned me off. I just didn't want to have to have another hub, you know, at a time when, you know, we've got routers and security systems and and, yep. you know doorbell cameras and that sort of thing. I just didn't want to have to add another system that I had to program and we're going to, you know, we've got a smart thermostat, et cetera. So this, this seems like a really good solution. Yeah. I guess in my mind, maybe before I had the office and the rest of it, I would have thought like, who cares? Like you just walk in and click a button and your lights are on. (laughs) But like once they're all really smart and you want them to all work on the same. So you have these scenes. Yeah. um, And I could have like a scene for when I'm working and a scene for when we're filming or something and the light would change. Yeah. Um, And that way all of that is preserved and you just set a default scene for when you enter or leave the room. Huh. Nice tech. Easy enough. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. TVs, coffee tables, motion sensors, <laughs> an incredible interview with a very interesting CEO uh, that, that loves so much of the stuff that we love and a brand new bonus episode with Collective and and Sweetwater. Not bad. Big week. Yeah. Pretty good week. Yeah. Yeah. Big week. Right. So yeah, if you happen to be in PA on the 11th and want to grab a beer, we'll be at Triumph Brewing from 2 to 4. Please RSVP in some fashion, either via email or Slack, but we'd be thrilled to see you there. I think there'll be plenty of room, et cetera, et cetera. We're hoping for good weather, that sort of thing. Uh, Keep December 3rd, Lake Monster Brewing in St. Paul open as that's the uh, book signing and launch. Sadly, I won't be able to to make it, but maybe we can make that up with... uh, a uh, different event sometime in the new year might be kind of fun. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty much all. It's a busy calendar. So we're, we're, I'm repeating a few things in the hopes that we don't miss anybody. But I hope everybody enjoyed the episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to subscribe and get into the show notes, get into the comments for each episode, or consider supporting the show directly, maybe even grab yourself a new TGN Sign NATO or access to the Slack, just visit thegraynado.com. Music throughout a siesta by Jazzar via the free music archive. And we leave you with this quote from Charles Darwin, who said, A man who dares to waste one hour of time has not discovered the value of life. <laughs>